0: Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast.
1: I want to get a description of everything that you saw out there, and then I want you to come down and identify the body as the body that you look. I said, let me tell you something, pal. If you go down there and you look at the right hand and the ring finger of the right hand, you're going to see a little small orange fly. And that should be identification enough. Or if there's too many more bodies out there with little orange flies in it, I'm not fishing here anymore.
0: That was Hal Jansen describing one of his craziest catches on the fly. Stillwater secrets, PG&E, and classic cars today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. If you've been listening to this podcast and been enjoying the content uh, and want to support us and everything we have going here at The Swing, you can click over uh, and support one of our sponsors. That would be amazing. In the show notes, there's usually a link there. You can check in with them, um, say hi, let them know you found and heard about them through this podcast. And one of those great sponsors today is Angler's Coffee, roasting a full range of coffee with that one goal, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. With a blend for every taste, a dry dropper on-the-go teabag option, and a roast sampler, you know Joe at Anglers has you covered. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash anglers right now to support Anglers and this podcast, a sustainable company with unsurpassed taste. We're also sponsored today by Lake Lady Rods, building distinctive custom rods, each created one at a time to the exact specifications for each angler. You can uh, go to wetflyswing.com slash lakelady right now. That's L A K E L A D Y to support this podcast and Chris and Lake Lady. Hal Jansen, one of the big time stillwater gurus, shares his story of fishing and his, uh, his life around fly fishing and everything he's had over the years. We find out why he uses a super ultra light outfit uh, for trout and stillwater and for steelhead and salmon. Um, we're talking light, light gear. Uh, we also find out how he landed a sturgeon on some of this light gear and, uh, and a bunch of other stories of fishing with some of the biggest names that you know. we've talked about, some of them that aren't with us anymore. But uh, Hal's been around. And he, he knows pretty much everybody. This is a really great episode. I think you're going to love this one. So without further ado, here he is, Hal Jansen. How's it going, Hal?
1: Oh, man, it's doing, going great. I'm sitting here looking out the window and, and looking at the big Chico Creek out there. And, uh, you know, it's just beautiful. I mean, one of those days where it's clear, you know. There's been so many fires in the area lately. It's been uh, oh. kind of nice to be able to look out there and, and uh, see everything the way it's supposed to be.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, you guys have been getting some smoke up there this year already?
1: Yeah, everybody's burning, you know. It seems like, you know, there's a one over in Yosemite that's going pretty good, I guess. And, and, uh, we haven't had anything around here. We had the, the big one a couple of years ago and um, kind of nailed down the and, and all that area, but, uh, it was looking pretty good now. Well,
0: that's good. That's good to hear. Well, I think, uh, I think today what I want to dig in, you have a, a book, um, on still water and you're, you're a pretty, uh, one of the bigger names in Stillwater. you know, you've been out there a while. So I want to dig into a little bit of that and maybe we'll touch on some steelhead and salmon. Um, but before we jump into some topics, maybe some tips and things like that, let, let's hear about how you first got into fly fishing.
1: Well, I'm, you know, almost 80 and I've been fly fishing, you know, since I was, uh, you know, like about five years old, my dad had an old bamboo fly rod. It was in the garage collecting dust and I dug it out and I said, what the heck is this? You know? And my dad said, oh, that's a fly rod. You know? I said, what do you do with it? It had a little yuko reel on it, you know, and, and he says, well strips of line out and I'll show you what it's all about. And that was it. Well, I mean, I was stuck. And from then on, every spare moment for the next thirty years I was fly fishing. You know, I went to school at San Jose State and uh in between classes I'd run over to the San Lorenzo River, fish for salmon and steelhead. And uh when I wasn't doing that, I was in the parks, you know, fishing some of the little parks they had in the area. And uh You know, I just had a love for it, you know, and a a burning desire to just go out there and and be fishing every single day that I could. And so, you know, most of my, uh, (laughs) actually, I'm probably better known as a pinstriper because I I do pinstripe cars and boats and stuff like that for years at car shows all over the United States. So I traveled around and that gave me the opportunity to fish in some of the areas that, uh, I would normally not be able to fish and, you know, through Montana and all that area when I was traveling. And so, uh, you know, it's fishing is just, it's been, it's just my life. It's part of my life. And that's what I do. You've
0: been doing it. So at what point, what, what was your first, uh, like dollar made in, in kind of in fishing?
1: Well, I tied flies when I was like six years old, I tied flies for Cobra McFeeders in San Jose. And, uh, and t- then I started tying flies for everybody. There was a guy by the name of Golden. He had a, a place called Golden's uh, Fly Shop, Tackle Shop. And so I tied flies for him. And, uh, you know, if I wasn't doing homework, I was doing that. But I, I rode a bus. Actually, I rode a bus every morning, a peerless bus from Fremont to San Jose, which was about a, a 45-minute trip. Okay, and then I'd get off the bus in San Jose. You know, I mean, I was in the third grade when I started going there. And then my brother was in the first grade. So I would take my brother and I, we'd walk all the way to the school, which was probably about 10 blocks. And so I was in really, really good shape. And, uh, after school, you know, you, you had bus schedules. And and so sometimes the bus schedules were, um, right on. And I got there right on and, and we were able to take off, but sometimes they weren't. And I run over to Cope McFeeders and, you know, look at all their flies, and eventually start tying flies for them. A tight place for everybody. I mean, you know, and then then I, I was a pretty good student, so, uh, you know, and I was going to the San Lorenzo, fishing Alameda Creek in, in Fremont, you know, fishing all the quarries, everywhere. I mean, everywhere where there was water, I fished. My dad had a, and mom had a piece of property in Melpitas, California, and they sold it. It, that's where the fork plant went in over there and uh, some guy came in one night with a suit on you know, and a tie and, and he said I want to buy your piece of property in, in Melpitas and my dad started laughing you know because it was always a joke if you, if you wanted to give somebody an intimate you stuck it in Melpitas in and uh, my, uh, my dad uh, humored the guy and he said well, what will what, you give me for the property my dad's He said, oh, I'll give you $50,000 for it, you know. And my dad started laughing. He says, have you been drinking? (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, I haven't. And uh, (laughs) he says, well, I'll tell you. Anytime you want to pay me $50,000 for my property in in, um, Milpitas, I'll take it. And so with that, we went down and we bought a brand-new Cadillac and a little travel trailer, and my mom and dad and, and my brother and I we took off and we went around the United States. We wow! Went up to Oregon, Washington, all the way across the top, all the way to, to New York. And my, we had some relatives in New York. We stayed with them for a couple of days, and went fished all all the lakes in um, Minnesota and all through there. I mean, I was a pest. We couldn't stop and have lunch unless there was water, you know. <laughs> and my dad said, "Well, let's pull over here," you know. And I look at it and I said, "That doesn't look like a very good place to fish." I can We keep going yeah sure. You know sometimes we start to have lunch about one o'clock, we were going to have lunch at one. It'd be two o'clock before I found it, a place that was satisfactory for me to fish, you know, <laughs> and for them to have lunch.
0: right so anyway,
1: that's what, kind of the way it started and uh
0: how old were you when you traveled around the country with your family? About
1: seven, six, seven. Wow. yeah i was I was nuts. I was was I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody had such a desire to fish like I did.
0: And it's still that way. I mean, I, I still, you know, I'm out all the time. Huh? Are you, and back when you were seven, were you fly fishing? Yeah, I started, I started with a
1: fly rod because I didn't know anything else. And that's what my dad had. He had that bamboo rod. And that was it. So, I mean, I don't fly fishing for bluegill, bass, anything. If there was water, it had fish in it. And I was out, you know, I was in there popping bugs, streamers, you know, and then I got a fly tying kit for Christmas, um, uh, that very that same year that we sold the property. And, you know, after that, it was like, you know, we were fizzling, duck cutting, all the feathers, I had boxes and boxes of feathers still from way back then, you know, sprig and mallards and what have you. All right. So, uh, you know, my whole life has been around fishing and, and, uh, and we're we're very fortunate that we have a nice home above Chico, twelve to fifteen minutes above Chico. Depending on how you're driving, uh, yeah. And you know, I can look out and 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 see just unlimited miles. I can just see Mount Lassen out of one window here, and I can see downtown Chico from out the other
0: window. Oh, amazing! Amazing. in yeah. a cool spot. So that's really cool. So we basically. The fly tying was going. I mean, who were back then? Who were you learning to tie flies from? Did you just grab a book and how'd all that look?
1: Well, I got a fly tying kit, you know, and the, and that book had a little little a soft cover deal in it. I still have that. I'm sitting stay, stay in my office here with all my books that I've got and all the decoys and stuff fish, and I've I've got all the stuff that that I've collected down through the years, you know, and I mean that's you know seventy almost seventy years of collecting. And uh, I've got books on everything here. People with written books and sent me copies of it and, and copies of my books and drafts of my books and everything, you know. So, you know, it's my whole life is in this room, you know. And I'm looking up at a yellow tail that I caught that was a world record on a fly rot.
0: Oh, wow. Describe that room for We can't see it because we're on audio, but describe it a little. Bit. What's it look like as you look around?
1: You know, on my right side here, I'm sitting in my flight time desk, desk right now, and my carving desk, because I do a lot of fish carving. And to the right outside, right out the window, I'm looking at the canyon across the way there, and Big Chico Creek is running down at the bottom of the canyon. there. I mean, it's probably about three miles down to the bottom of that canyon. Oh, wow. And so I look to the right, and I can see Mount Lassen up that canyon. And as far as I can see to the left, because it winds around like, I can see parts of Chico. You know, and and up here, you know, there's ponds everywhere. You know, Water Company, uh, pg and and Water Company, you know, have been putting ponds everywhere. And I, for years, I just specialized in little little ponds and little areas that were, you know, available to me, you know. And I just love this still water fly fishing. And so, you know, somebody said, why don't you write a book? I laughed. Yeah, right. I'll write a book. And, you know, it got to the point where, Everybody, I go to these fly fishing clubs and I talk about still water and somebody said, man, you want to do a book on fly fishing on still water. And I thought, "Eh." you know, so here about 10 years ago, I started collecting all my notes together and I started writing this book and I illustrated the whole thing because eventually I, I initially was when I went to college, I was going to college as a, you know, commercial artist and, uh, I, I learned watercolor, how to paint watercolors and, and for my pinstripping work. And so everything is in this book. Every step of the way is in this book and everything is done here,
0: right, right at this desk, which I'm talking at from right now. Remind us the name of the book.
1: It's called Stillwater Fly Fishing Secrets. Nice. And uh, there's a picture of me on the back cover with a 20-pound rainbow trout that I caught up at Lake Almanor, which is above the above us here. I got a house up there and uh, my son is living in it right now and and during the summer months, that's where I spend a lot of my time but there's just water everywhere I mean, everywhere you look I mean, you drive down the freeway, for Christ's sakes and there's ditches running across you know, running to the Sacramento River running to, you know, Chico Creek, wherever it may be and all all of it's got salmon and steelhead in it and when I was living initially, I lived in Santa Rosa and that was before I, started, I did the book. And I was going up the coast all the time. You know, I fished with Bill Shad. I fished with Ted Linder. I fished with all the famous fly fishers, Jim Adams, Ed Rice, who had this fishy tackle shows. Yep. I traveled around the country with him, and I was doing programs for him. And uh, I just got involved in it all. And uh, it's been my life. So, you know, why not? If you can make a yeah. buck out of it, and you can keep alive, I'm not... I'm not eating steak sandwiches. I'm eating more peanut butter and jelly. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> yeah. So basically you've been doing this your whole life. I and mean, you've been, you've been fishing and, and, but the book came in in 2012. So before that, um, so that, was that your first book you wrote? That's my first book
1: that I wrote. I was doing lots of fly fishing articles for field and stream outdoor life. Um, uh, you know, fly fisherman magazine when it was going good. And, uh, so, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, I look up here, you know, in front of me and I see all these books and magazines and everything, <laughs> but this is my life. Yeah. I mean, if, if anything happened to this room right here, I'd, I'd be just devastated. But yeah, you know, from that, I started, you know, I started doing watercolor of fish and, uh, you know, just, it just, it just snowballed. And it's a great life. I, I mean, I couldn't, could have have planted any better. And, uh, Got so many good friends all over the country. Dave Woodlock in and, and, um Kansas, and and Roy uh, Rossborough was a good friend of mine, and
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: it just goes on and on and on.
0: I was going to ask you about. I think if we have time, we'll probably dig in a little bit, talk about that. Some of the people that influenced you along the way, or maybe that you influenced as well. Um yeah. but I'm interested I want to talk a little about the start with the stillwater because you've got this book and and I don't have it in front of me but I'd like to dig into the book a little bit because we've had we've actually done I love stillwater fishing we've had a number of people on the podcast some folks up in Canada and, uh, and probably some people, you probably know them right? Some of the same guys, Denny Rickers and, uh, oh, Brian yeah. Chan, right. The, the group out there. Um, yeah. but I'm curious on your book. So, so talk about, because I, and we've had some other like team USA people that are doing like Euro style, right. Using a different style. And I've heard things like, you know, you got the chronomid stuff, you got the, like, uh, you know, using a, a thing on your boat as you, to slow it down. Like, what is your book? What's your technique? Do you cover everything in this book or is it specific to a certain type?
1: Everything, everything. How to fish out of a boat? How to fish out of a float tube? Who started the float tubes? uh, Why they're so effective? Because they're quiet, you know. And the boats mostly are small prams, eight foot, and they're made out of fiberglass. And we fish salmon and steel out of those out of of those boats during the winter months. And then during the summer months, I've got them spot with a little trailer. I got a little trailer now, and the boats flamed, and uh, you know, with with flames I do. I did pinstriping, so. You know, when the boat got a little shabby looking, I just got a deal of paint and I start painting no. the boat and i blamed it, blamed it out.
0: Nice. So you got your boat all blinged out. Your boat looks nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we had a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun doing everything with this. And, uh, you know, what else can I say? It's, just, it's, yeah. it's been my life.
0: Well, on the float tubes, you mentioned the float tubes. So do you know the history there? Because I don't remember I, when I, I just remember float tubes always being there. Do you remember when there weren't float tubes?
1: Well, yeah, a lot I mean, hell, I was about 15 years old when I saw the first float tube, and that was in Idaho, and it wasn't a manufactured, it wasn't a manufactured by a major company. you know, uh, kind of Mike Wolverton and uh, all the guys up in Idaho Fish Henry's Lake of the year, and, and uh, Gary Jerry Howells, who was probably one of the best bamboo rod builders in the world. Uh, he died a number, number of years ago. but all these people. We always used to meet up at Henry's Lake during the summer months, and we used to fish up there, Joe Brooks. We used to fish up there for, well, you know, several months, and then we'd all split up when the weather got bad, and everybody would go their way, you know. Joe and Mary used to camp right alongside of me, and I just had my little Ford van with a, with a little bed in the back of it and a little stove, stove coal uh, gas stove inside.
0: Nice. And
1: I cooked there, you know, and then sometimes we'd go to dinner up there, and, uh, you know, we'd all get together. And Jim Adams was very, very influential. He's from Berkeley and a, 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 a tackle collector, antique mm. tackle collector. Oh, I yeah. mean, he's got he's got rods and reels and stuff that you know most people wouldn't even believe. And uh, I've got a picture of him sitting right in front of me. Should, I saw his picture a while ago, and I should have brought his name up sooner. Yeah, but Jim has been a good long oh, friend yeah. of mine. He's a great guy. Yeah. Anyway. Everything is, is uh, in this book. You know, it's like with my pinstriping background and my watercolor background was from the pinstriping. Hell, I can illustrate anything, so why not do a book?
0: In your book, did you do the illustrations in the book?
1: Everything. Everything in the book. There isn't anything here that I didn't do. Uh, everything is here, all the logo, my dragonfly logo, um, hex flies. Everything is done in watercolors, and it's in the book.
0: Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, Jane and I edited the book ourselves here, and, uh, you know, you can't put it down. I've had people tell me, I start reading the book, you know, at the front of it, and, you know, I just got to read a couple of pages. Next thing I know, I'm laying in my bed, falling asleep almost, and I'm halfway through the damn book.
0: Yeah. You know? Walk us through that book a little Let's open that thing up and just start, like, what, what do you, like, chapters-wise, what can we expect to find there?
1: Well, chapters well, I'll go to the glossary here, and, uh, you know, I acknowledge people here. Art Agnew, who had Sunset Line Company, and Bill Orchard-Levitt, who is still building reels, Johnny Beerus, uh, Lynn Bearden, who had the Milk Pond, all I mean, just, all these people were in here. Most of them are gone now, but uh it was, so Russell Chatton did an introduction for me in the front, and John Spencer, who was probably one of my best friends, and he's living over in Eureka somewhere now, and it's still on the contour of the lake, you know. I mean, hell, I'm only at page five, and all these things are already been covered, ecosystems and weather, vegetation, all the insects vegetation are all illustrated in here. You know, the adults and the nymph and the, all the vegetation that you find in these ponds from, from British Columbia, like Dragon Lake in British Columbia, there's a picture here with vegetation and uh, it just goes on and on. I mean, it's, it's there and in trough senses and behavior, why a fish does certain things. And when you read this book, you won't believe it. You, you won't believe it. You know, then we get into fly tying and hooks uh-huh.
0: and I talk yeah. about
1: hooks and how they're made. And until we're on page 44 now, here's a, a book that's uh, 270, almost 300 pages, and that's just just touching the, scratching the surface right. of what we do. That's and so, <laughs> and everything, all my notes that I've collected after every fishing trip, I sit down and I made a note in a, in a log of everything that I did that day and why. And you know, I, people talk to me about, oh, wow, you use a long leader, and you use a 2 weight fly rod. And you do? that, We've well, kind of crazy. No, it's it's important if you're fishing still water to use the lightest outfit possible because you're fishing with leaders that are six x and seven x pound one pound two pound, and you're fishing. I'm catching fish eight, eight nine ten pound fish on on six x leaders. Wow! Why do I? Why am I able to do that? It's because my little reels are counterbalanced, so they give up line without any problem. But backing is not twenty pound or. 50-pound, it's 6-pound and 8-pound braided, you know, line, nylon. And why do I use nylon and not use diacron? It's because nylon stretches. Well, does it stretch cause your, your reel, you know, to pop? Yes, it would if it was being stretched with heavy, heavy line. But no, it doesn't. So when all these things why do, I, what kind of fly lines? I use a black fly line. Where do you get a black fly line? Well, you get it out of a box of red dye, you get it to the grocery store, and you put a little bit of red dye in some boiling water, and you drop the fly line. It doesn't hurt the fly line. The PVC takes it like a duck takes the water. And I make my fly line black. Why is that black? It's because when you're casting over fish that are, are a couple inches under the surface or even, even a foot under the surface, the black fly line makes no flashes. Why do you see it? And it may be seen but not by the fish. More people are scaring fish with light colored lines and orange lines and pink lines and
0: what have you. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's in the book. That's the reason I do it. Why do I do it? How do I do it? It's in the book.
0: Yeah. So black fly lines. And is there not, can you not buy a black fly line out of the, like from a, on, at a fly shop? No, you can't.
1: Not unless it's been dotted. Somebody has to. Pay.
0: That's right. So they're all colored. So, in, so that's interesting. So there's no black lines.
1: Yeah, there's no black lines, so you have to do, your, do it yourself. And with the backing, heck, when your fish is 6X tippet, why would you have 25- or 30-pound test backing? The fish is never going to see that backing, you know. So when it gets to, when it gets into the backing, you let them go. And the reels are all counterbalanced, so they're smooth-running, little teeny reels that are, you know, a, three inches in diameter, the smallest of the hardies, you know, because they're some of the best reels that ever made. Everything I do is completely different from what people talk about in Stillwater. Like Denny, he shows a lot of pictures in his books, and he's a great guy. Uh, Denny's one of my favorite favorite guys. All these pictures are in his book, and he fishes a heavy graphite rod, and there's where you break off lines more than anything else. You know, you break off leaders because the rods will, will not absorb the shock. If the fish pulls down on it and the rod bends, it's not gonna break. Yeah. So you hold it up in an upward position with high up low off the water and it doesn't break. And when you do it every single day, you realize what it is that you need. And when I realize what I need, I come back to my room and I work on developing something like the backing and what have you. Here. And I can I get casting line that says 15 pounds. It's not that's gonna break it. My leader's going to break long before that. But the leader can't break because you can't get any leverage on it. Because the, the rod is not graphite. It's good fiberglass.
0: Right. You use fiberglass rods? Yes, I use fiberglass rods, and I've been
1: using them forever. And I don't use bamboo because, I mean, they're beautiful to cast and they're beautiful to fish with, but they're fragile. And I don't want to have to worry about them all the time. My fiberglass rod that I'm using, hell, I bet I've caught 20,000 pounds of trout on that one rod, and it's like brand new. You know, the guides on my rod, I don't wrap decorative on my my rods. I wrap only the guide, the base of the guide, the foot of the guide. But what happens before I wrap the foot of the guide, I cut them down in half. So I'm using a lot less wraps on my rod than the average guy would use on, on if he was making his own fly rods. You see, all everything, nothing get, doesn't get touched. Everything, there's a reason for everything. And I incorporated in all my equipment and I incorporated it in my book. And people said, When are you going to do the next book? I said, Why would I do another book? Everything is in this one.
0: It's all in one. That's perfect.
1: You know, <laughs> it's
0: I love you know? that. I want to dig it. give me a few more. I want to dig into a few more uh, secrets there that you have in your book just so we could. Kind of wet the appetite for people listening. Um and, and are you doing a so do you cover like indicators in there? Or what what's the techniques you're covering in there?
1: I never use an indicator in my whole life and I never will. Why would you use an indicator? the the strike is the most important part of still water fly fishing. When you feel a strike on that line, I me, mean, I, I've caught thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of fish. And every time that that fly line moves out there, the leader moves. And that's, that's what I'm watching for. The last remaining part of the leader that floats, when it kind of dips down a little bit, that's a fish. I don't have to put an indicator on it. I know where that line is. I'm looking right down. Here. You see, all these things that people say, oh, well, you got to do this. You gotta. No, you don't have to if you think about it. And it's probably better if you don't. Right. And with a fiberglass rod, I can follow backwards with a 7X tippet and not break a fish off because it just bends.
0: What if we were coming to a, like a, uh, let, let's say I'm going up to, what's a lake nearby you that's a pretty uh, popular lake that you fished before?
1: Well, Elmanor.
0: Elmanor. So let's say I'm coming up there to fish with you at Elmanor and, and, uh, and we're going to head up there. What is it? Is this a good time of year? Like July, August?
1: Well, it's probably better. Well, than, yeah. Well, so it's hot, but I mean, we, you still catch fish by going down from, but I prefer fish you know, later on in the season when the water starts to warm a little bit and the fish are feeding early in the morning or late in the evening. Yeah. And, you know, bingo.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, everything has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. And I'm sitting here surrounded by purpose. You know, here, all the, all my artwork is done. Want to see what a, what a rainbow looks like? I've seen thousands of them. But if you want to see what a, what a rainbow really looks like, fresh out of the water, you go out and you catch one and you hold it in your hand in the water. And people say, well, Lord, doesn't that hurt this fish? No, it doesn't. Because when you put your hand in the water, the slime doesn't come off the fish. It's it's there and you don't squeeze the fish. You just gently hold them there. They're not going to move. The reason a fish squirms is because somebody's got a grip on it and they're trying to get the fly hook
0: Yeah, It's awesome. And then, so if we were coming out to that lake fishing, let's just say in the fall, we're coming out there, would I be, would you be telling me to bring a float tube or are we going out in a a pram?
1: Well, we take my boss and whaler out and we find the fish and we fish over the second day. We probably go out in a small pram and we fish out of the pram. You know, we we find the fish with the whaler, where they're going to be because they move. They're plodgy and they move all over the place. Wherever the water temperature is right for them, that's where they're going to be. And right now, there's been you know, since the fires hit that area up there where Almanor was, Jesus, the devastation up there, you wouldn't believe. The trees are all gone. And so the water's all muddy because the wind blows all the time up there. And, and the, wind, the the trees don't block the wind. And so I'm not fishing as much as I, I normally would be because of the conditions. And I'm fishing closer to home. So just you know, a ton of things. I mean, we could, we could talk forever forever when you ask a question you ask good questions and you you allow me to to go off on a tangent on whatever you say
0: yeah perfect
1: and that's and this is perfect and this is a perfect perfect way of doing it and i'm here all the time so if you want to do these once a month hell once every two months uh i don't care you know i love talking
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Bear Vault, keeping Wild Adventure going strong and ensuring your next backcountry trip stays memorable, epic, and safe. Bear Vault builds a rugged, polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other animals out of your stuff. Every year you're out somewhere and you hear of somebody who uh, had an encounter with with an animal, and a lot of times it could have been avoided pretty easily. Uh, Bear Vault is a way to keep your food safe, and it actually keeps the bears safe and you safe all in one shot. Uh, Bear Vault has come out now with a uh, two other versions, sizes of the Bear Vault. The small version they have now is like day hiking. So if you're out there going day hiking, you can grab the Bear Vault and, uh, and you can go with it. Food Story is, is a key consideration in the backcountry, whether you're hiking, fishing, camping, uh, whatever it takes, whatever you're doing. You're going to need something to keep your food safe. You can check in with Bear Vault right now. That's Bear Vault, uh, wetflyswing.com slash Bear Vault. B E A R V A U L T to support this podcast and a great solution for you. Okay, back to the show. So you wrote a book on still water, but you actually have also a lot of experience with steelhead and salmon. What what's kept you from writing a steelhead and salmon book?
1: People, I don't want to send people out there. There's not enough salmon and steelhead left. And all the good waters are, have been ruined by the Department of Fishing Game. Or PG&E, like the Smith, the Chetko, and all those—man, they're not—they're not even a ghost of what they used to be. I mean, you know, that's where I use the prawn. You know, because you can follow the fish, you can stay with the schools. And the, I don't fish in in water that's sixty and seventy foot deep with lead core lines. I'm fishing in, the, in the, at the mouths of the rivers when they first come in. That's when the fish is the best. That's when he still has feeding instinct. And then I fish with small flies, like, almost like plankton. That's what they're used to feeding on. You see you see how this thing evolves? I mean, we can take it, striped bass the same way. You know, Russ Chatham and I fished for years in, in San Francisco Bay together. And we never saw anybody else because we fished where the fish were and not where everybody was fishing. You see, a lot of people just. old oh, Joe Blow says a lot of fish underneath such and such a, a, bridge. Okay, great, and they all go there. Not not Russ and I. We go with the fisher.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they're coming there, and is that the same for steelhead? Or are you chasing or is steelhead salmon a little bit different on how you're finding them?
1: Well, steelhead takes the fly, aggressively, where the salmon just sucks it in. I mean, that's all he does. He sees it in the water, he sees it coming down, and he just swims up to it, and he. Gets near it, and he just sucks it in. Well, what the hell? He doesn't grab a hold of it and start racing off with it. That's not the way they feed. Steelhead also do that same type of feeding in still water, in tidewater. But as they get further up the river, then you start catching them on brighter flies. But if you saw the flies that we use for steelhead and salmon, you, you shake your head. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even use them for trout because they're so small. And they're tied on strong hooks, English hooks. And so we we never we never they never they never get the fly. So and, and we, you know this old deal of bringing them up and putting them in a net and then taking the fly out of them? What the hell with that? I bring them up to the boat, reach down, grab a hole and I just break them off. The fly's going to rust off in in tide water. You know, in a couple of days, it's going to rust out of their mouth. Why should I bring them up and take the slime off the side of the fish and hurt the fish? You see. And the fly, I mean, like a Titans fly, you know, like a tight, two dozen an hour. Well,
0: let's describe that fly. Is that now, is that a barbed or a barbless fly?
1: It's a barbless fly. I pinch the barbs down. I don't use a barbless hook because they don't make a sufficient hook that's strong enough to hold a salmon. Yeah. So what I do is I debarb all my flies and I just push the barb down. I don't break the barb off. I just pinch the barb down and it just slides right in there and it holds in place. And that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a simple. When you see how easy it is to catch salmon and steelhead, you wouldn't believe it.
0: What is a good fly for uh, like for steelhead? What would be a little tiny fly you'd be tying there?
1: Well, I tie scuds and and uh, stuff like that. And I'm, I couldn't give you the name of them because they don't have any names.
0: No, but they're but the little flies small. Are
1: made, they're, Yeah, they're they're made with mylar tinsel. You know, just a one strand of mylar tinsel. And you wrap the body, and you use a little marabou tail. And you can use a, uh, when you get up to the head, you use a, one or two turns of hackle is all you need. And that's it. Tie it off. And it's the whole thing is less than an inch long.
0: Yeah, a little tiny, little you see? tiny guy.
1: Little teeny guy. And man, do they work? I've got logs of all my fishing that I've done from San Lorenzo River. I'm the only guy in the world probably ever caught a body with a fly rod. A body? A body, yeah. I actually caught a gal that had been strangled in Santa Cruz, and then I guess they threw her body in a river. And the, I was fishing, and I didn't know the body was there. And all of a sudden, I'm hooking something. I didn't know what the hell it is. And it's heavy, and I can't get it to come up. And so I start walking around to the other side of the river where there's a beach, and I start bringing it in. When they got him in the shallow water, and I looked down, and holy Christ, I got in the hooked her in the hand, in a ring finger over
0: here. Wow.
1: Yes. And then, the, of course, the cops came, and they came all over the place. And then they came down there, and they're all walking around with their patent leather shoes on the beach, you know. And I'm in my waders, and I'm standing with all the guys that I fish with. The officer says, Who caught this body? I said, I did. I raised my hand. He said, Would you come down here and put this body on this blanket here? I said, hey, you see that culvert on the other side of the river? He says, "Yeah." I said, I hooked that body when I was on the other side of the river in front of that culvert. And I dragged that body all the way around, across the bridge, across the road, all the way down below the roller coaster at Santa Cruz, underneath the railroad bridge, and onto the shallow bar there. And I pulled it up there in the shallow water as far as I could. He says, yeah. And I said, I'm not pulling it one inch further. So if you, want to, if you want to get that body up here, you're going to have to go out there and get it yourself. He says, could I borrow your waiters?" I said, look, I got a size six foot. I bet you have, what, a 10 or 11? Yeah. I said, you can't get into my waiters." So you see from another guy is standing there that had a bigger foot. Anyway, then he goes down and he gets a body and he drags it up there. Then he says to me, they, these guys are not very smart. He comes up there and he says, Mr. Jaren, I said, yes. He said, I want to get a description of everything that you saw up there. And then I want you to come down and identify the body as the body that you look. I said, let me tell you something, pal. If you go down there and you look at the right hand and the ring finger of the right hand, you're going to see a little small orange fly. And that should be identification enough. Or if there's too many more bodies out there with little orange flies in it, I'm not fishing here anymore. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> just lifts it up. The I mean, wow. you
0: know, hundred people on
1: wow. the bank. there. But anyway,
0: so at what point did you when you when you hooked that body? At what point did you realize it was actually a body?
1: I didn't. Believe, I didn't realize it was actually a body until I got around this other side. I thought it was a seal. A the seal. Seattle, yeah, I thought it was a seal because it was. She was wearing. Brown leotards and a brown ski jacket, and she had a white a kind of a pink sleeves, a stripe or something in pink on the sleeve. And I kept seeing the, the pink on the sleeves every once in a while. But that was about it. Well, I didn't know what that was until I got it up, and then I thought it was a seal because seals are coming into the river all the time to chase the salmon and steal it at night.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Guys, that, guys that fish a lot will go down there at night and they'll shoot them. Oh wow. They'll shoot them with the 22. And so, you know, it wouldn't be nothing to, to hook a, uh, a seal and drag it in. All right. But it was a lot heavier than this gal was. And, and the tide was working for me, or else I wouldn't have got the body in. It would have been
0: history. You know? And
1: I was in the newspapers, and everybody was calling me about that. And, wow. And I'd kind of like to
0: forget yeah. about that one. You know? Yeah, forget about that one. Is that the, is that the craziest thing you've ever, you've ever hooked on a fly?
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Absolutely. What's the second craziest? Uh,
1: man, there's a bunch of them. Uh, <laughs> I once caught a sturgeon on a fly. I actually caught it in the mouth on the Paper Mill Creek. And uh, I've got photographs of it. And it was all in the newspapers and everything. But I caught this sturgeon. And it's probably, well, I'm about 5'10", oh, five, ten, five nine, something like that. Mm-hmm. uh that's my width <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm pretty good pretty stocky mm-hmm. let me put it that way and anyway this seal comes is uh i'm in a sturgeon i'm fishing in Paper mill creek by myself you know and a friend of mine comes down and he says hey what's going on i said not much and uh he said uh caught anything i said uh well, I've had a couple of grabs here and a few fish are rolling around. And all of a sudden I go, There's, there's one. And I hold up the rod, and it was just almost dead life on like it. Now, what the hell is this? The guy's name was Steve. I said, Hey Steve, can you see what the hell it is? I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it right into the bank here. And I want you to take a look and see what it is. And all of a sudden, the sturgeon it is probably, I want to say, a good six or seven feet long. Yeah. Just surfaces, and there's the fly, the line going right to its mouth. It must the fish was sitting on the bottom and was probably breathing there, and the fly came by, and it just accidentally breathed it in. He didn't take it. Oh wow! He didn't aggressively go after it, and all of a sudden I got the sturgeon, and I got the picture of the sturgeon, and holding it, it's right here in front of my 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 fly time bench, and I get the the fly out of it. He says, "What are you going to do with it?" I said, "I'm going to let it go." What the hell am I going to do with a fish that's like 65, 70 pounds? What am I going to do with it? He said, (laughs) well, I like to eat sturgeon. I said, well, then you catch one. (laughs) Because this one here is going back in. I get the fly out of the fish's mouth, and I got the fly sitting on the the piece of, on the photograph, taped onto the photograph, and a little piece of the leader, and I let the fish go. And then this guy is telling everybody in the world about me catching a sturgeon on a fly. Well, hell. You know, if a guy's looking for notoriety, you couldn't I couldn't ask for it anymore. And I'm not looking for notoriety. You know, back in those days I was, you know, wearing a beard. I had a beard and Hodgman waiters, you know, you couldn't get neoprene waiters in those days. they now, but I could have stood you. So wow. I've had I've had a lot of experiences and I could write a probably write a book about all these experiences that, that I've had and some of the places that I've gone. Yeah. But, I'm at that point in my life where all I want to do is my fish carvings and I'm work, working on carvings that are so realistic that uh, even a fish would try to spawn with one of my carvings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're carving fish out of wood and are you doing this based on a, a photo or just out of your memory?
1: Out of memory. And uh, they're, they're made out of basswood, carved out of basswood and are all hand carved. You know, there's no, a lot of these guys are carving with power tools and stuff. I use a, uh, Actual t- tools that dig the wood out mm. and you know, we'll draw the what I want to dig out and then I dig it out. And then when I'm done, I'm, I paint the fish with an airbrush and then I scale every scale on that fish is because I take close ups of it, I put scales on the fish, paint the scales down. I don't even go to the carving shows anymore because when they see me coming with a fish, they all get the hell out of there. You know, they know that I, they don't have a chance. And I got these fish sitting here, browns and cutthroat and, and, and brook trout and bluegill, and you name it, it's, it's there. And got them in a lot of different shops. And uh, I love carving. I just love carving. All that detail. I love the detail.
0: That's really cool. So you've been, you've had that detail from the pin, I mean, where is that, yeah, where'd that come from, that skill of car, that's, these fish are beautiful, I mean, how, you just developed that from, like, the pinstriping, is that where it started?
1: That's right, the pinstriping, well, the pinstriping gave me the ability to balance my hand, and learn to balance my hand from going long lines and stuff like that. And I make all my own brushes, and uh, I make them with quills from, good, from ducks and geese, and uh, you know, I got hundreds of Um, brushes here that I made and every one of them is for a different reason. reason. When I start scaling some fish have bigger scales some fish smaller scales. Like striped bass have big scales. And yellowtail have bigger bigger scales. Steel and salmon, medium scale. And then when you get the bluegill and and small trout, they're smaller scales. And so you have different sized brushes for every scale. You know, my whole life is in this room. And you would not believe everything that's stuffed in here I, I find stuff... I got a grailing up there that I caught in the widow's pool with Joe Brooks. And I of that. I didn't carve it. And not mounted it. And you would think that it was a carving or you would think it was... You know, it's the skin of the real fish. Put on oh. You know that I caught with Ted Brooks, uh, Joe Brooks. You know, and then I've got deep boys in here. i got
0: everything. What was Joe Brooks like?
1: He was a gentleman. He was a from the East Coast and he was a, an Eastern gentleman. Every button on his shirt was buttoned. Everything that he wore looked brand new. Nothing was out of shape. Out of, you know, his hair was thinning a little bit because he, he and Mary had been married together for a long time. You, know, you usually lose your hair when that happens. That's right. But, That's right. <laughs> you know, he was a gem, an absolute yeah. gem, and and uh, I, I there isn't probably a, an hour in a day that goes by that I don't think about Joe, and uh, and Ed Rice who did the International Sportsman's Expos,
0: yeah,
1: these guys are are like, in my head, they are the epitome of everything that goes on.
0: Who are the other guys, How that uh, you, you know, over your career, you know, especially earlier on, maybe some of those older guys that maybe aren't around, who are some of the, the people that, you know, we'd, we'd know of that you were around?
1: God, I'd have to sit down and really think about
0: I mean, Joe Brooks, you mentioned Joe and that we did an episode with Joe Brooks, um, I guess his uh, nephew who wrote, who did a documentary on his life. So we, we yeah. talked about that and then, but I haven't heard much about Ed Rice. I know he did all the shows. He was a big... You know person there what 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 happened did he he just kind of quit doing the shows eventually
1: no he sold the show
0: oh he sold it. he sold
1: the show and then he retired to oregon and was living in oregon and then he got sick and he needed to, to uh, have somebody take care of him and he lived in oregon and that's where he passed away
0: oh there you go in oregon okay
1: yeah and so you know what i mean all these guys were my friends
0: yeah, you knew them all. And the steelhead was the same thing. I mean, you were there in the, the early 60s. What was the what were the big steelhead rivers in, when you started fishing steelhead? San Lorenzo, the Russian,
1: the Gualala, the Noyo, the Smith for salmon, and occasionally a big steelhead. But uh, the San Lorenzo River is where I spent most of my time in Santa Cruz because I was going to school at San Jose State, and it was just, half an hour over the hill. And my mom and dad had a summer home over there. So I had a place to stay. See, everything is like my whole life that was set up in advance of what I was supposed to do.
0: That's what I want to get back to. I want to get, because it's interesting to me because when you talk and I'm always interested in the, the kind of the business side, because you've been able to do something that was a long, a while ago, but I mean, you, you started tying flies. So once you started tying flies, what was the next transition into making money in fly fishing after that?
1: Having somebody else tie the fly the way I wanted it tied and like Umpqua feather merchants, you know, they were tying my, using my name and tying my flies. And I had complete control over those flies. If they didn't look right, they sent me a bunch of them. If they didn't look right, they just eliminated them. They threw them away. They tied them the way they were supposed to be tied. See, that's,
0: that's what it's all about. Yeah. What was one of those names? Because they named their flies. Did you have a name of any of those flies with Umqua? Chihuahua. The Chihuahua fly. Chihuahua, like the dog. Yeah, like the dog. Because I'm standing on the
1: center of the river, and I I just got through catching a steelhead, and this guy said, what would you catch it on? I said, the Chihuahua fly. He was, what? I said, it's right here. So I'm on, on my first guide. He looks at it. He, I give him a lot. He's looking at it, and he keeps turning the run. He said, this fly doesn't have any hair on it. I said, No kid, really? I said, That's why it's called a chihuahua. <laughs> he said, What is that? I said, It's mylar tinsel, and then it's been ribbed with ostrich, and that's it. And he said, This fish ate that? I said, Yeah, because that's what the plankton looks like that they eat. He said, I'll be darned. I never saw the guy again in my life, but he's the one that came in. A, Gave me the idea for the Chihuahua, the name Chihuahua. And I used that for life for probably five years and never had a name. And people say, what are you using? Well, I said, oh, it's a little fly that I tie, you know." But that one, that guy said, oh, it has no hair on it. It's like a Chihuahua.
0: There you and go. Said, yep. That's
1: fun. It's in a crazy life that I led. It's crazy. I sit out at night. I can't sleep immediately after going to bed. I lay there and I think about all the crazy things that I've done in my life. I could write 10 books about all the things that I've done in my life, where I've been, what happened. All I, see. I got notes. I got volumes of notes here of things that were.
0: Yeah, you, got, you don't have to write another book for sure. So when you were doing the, uh, so that pinstriping, did you do that for quite a, a number of years? Oh, God, yeah.
1: I traveled all over the United States doing it. Yeah, I, I was a little striper. The Little
0: Striper. That was my name. Oh, that was the name of your company? The Little Striper?
1: No. The Little Striper. I'm five foot four. I'm not very tall. Every fish I hold up looks big because I'm so short.
0: <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. I was,
1: made, I was made to fly fish.
0: Yeah. And you did that. Who was the other guy? You did some stri- the striping uh, with somebody else, right? That also fly fished?
1: Uh, well, not really.
0: No. You're just doing it.
1: I was doing it. I was traveling to car shows and, and going to outdoor car shows, indoor car shows. I got, I got the Jaguar. It's 1967 Jaguar that belonged to Nancy and Ronald Reagan. I own it. And it's gold. And it is beautiful. You have a gold I mean, Jaguar? Gold Jaguar, chrome rear end. The motor is chrome. You can eat off it. And it's in my place up at Lake Alma. lives in the house up there. And I drive it occasionally. Well, we're sun it more than I do,
0: and these are all things that a lot of people don't know about it, about me. Yeah, what was the Jag- what, what year is that Jaguar? Sixty-seven, nineteen sixty-seven.
1: The license plate number is XKE three twenty-five, and three twenty-five is Ronald Reagan's birthday. No way. Yeah,
0: and that's how I got.
1: I got the. Oh cord. wow!
0: Yeah, yeah. The sixty-seven is that really cool? It's like a. It's like a coupe just for like two people, right? Yeah. That's right. Two people. Oh, wow. And
1: it's a little interior. It's a, unbelievable. I'm and I'm looking at it here. I got a picture of it here in a car show. Yeah. And you, you wouldn't believe it. And then, I, of course, I pinstriped some of the, the lines <laughs> on the car. Wow. You know, but all just stuff is decorated, you know, beautiful. I'm not 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 a wild line.
0: And you're trusting your son to drive it. That's pretty, you got a lot of trust in your son. Well, he, he watched me built that car,
1: build that car, so. Yeah, I get, I get a lot of trust in them.
0: Is it a convertible?
1: It's a, it's a hard. It's a coupe. It's a coupe, XK coupe. So it's a it's a hard top.
0: hard top, Yeah.
1: Yeah, and with the wire wheels, and you know, it just.
0: Oh yeah, the wire wheels. Know. Yeah. It's a Jaguar. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So that thing. Yeah. Could that thing go pretty fast?
1: Yeah. Well, we go one sixty. Yeah. I mean, you know. Not that I drove it that fast, because the highway patrol could never catch me. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. they were driving Dodge interceptors that went 120 at the time, and that was fast for for that. But this car here would leave them in the dust. But yeah. it was golden in color, and nobody had a gold Jaguar. And a lot of people in the car world, like I used to get all the car craft magazines and hot rod stuff like. I've got all those magazines way back in 1954 when I first started collecting them. You know, the little little books, the little small ones, car craft, rod and custom all small. I've got all those. I got them until we quit making it And they're all in this room. Everything is in this room.
0: It's got That car has an abnormally large uh, engine compartment. Does it just have a massive engine under there compared to the car? Yeah. The
1: whole front end of it is long. It's long. And when you lift the hood up, you can't believe it because it's all
0: motor. It's a six
1: yard overhead six. Wow. And yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing.
0: So that's it. When did you build that? Oh,
1: back in the, uh, early sixties.
0: Yeah. Early. So Mm 1960. So you were, so you were born, you said you were born in 1947. Is that right?
1: 43.
0: Oh, 43. Yeah. So you're born in 1940. Yeah. So you're born, uh, you're born three, uh, four years after my dad was born and, um, and so 43, and then when – so when did you retire from the pinstriping?
1: Well, I never really retired from it because I still do it. I'm still able to do it. Oh, really? i got my brushes here, but I'm away from all those people that I used to pinstripe for. So, you know, they, every once in a while somebody shows up and calls and says, hey, I want my car. I want you to stripe my car. And then I say, yeah, come on up. You know, but I haven't pinstriped in, you know, six, seven years. You know, every then I bring the brushes out, to still – you know to make sure I still know how to do it. And I can pinstripe. Right. But uh, my hand is like a lock. You know, I sit down, boom. That's it. There's no wiggling. there's no shaking or
0: nothing.
1: Wow. And I can walk down the side of a car and put a pinstripe on it.
0: So it sounds like you got the, the fishing obviously has been a huge part of the time you've spent, you know, but also pinstriping and doing these carving. What other what other hobbies do you have out there that you, we haven't talked about?
1: Oh God. That's really about it. I mean, those are the serious ones.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot.
1: You know, the the room here is covered with these plaques from Hall of Fames and stuff like that, and I belong all the fly fishing Hall of Fames, and it's it just it's it's an amazing world, amazing life that I've had. Like, I'm married to the greatest gal in the world. She lets me do everything that I want to do, and she trusts me and. Nobody ever really trusted me like that. And I'm I got the best. I got a great looking woman. She's a great cook. <laughs> wow. She's willing to go anywhere with me and do things. And well you couldn't ask for anymore, you know?
0: Yeah. Did she ever get into the the into fly fishing?
1: Well, she wasn't interested in it. She did it, but she wasn't interested.
0: What about your kids? Well yeah, my both of my boys. Fly
1: fish, and uh, and 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 they, you know, they do the same stuff that I do. You know, I've told them all very well down through the years. And um, my wife just handed me a note: move on to fly fishing. Well, ah. <laughs> well, you're, right. gonna, you're, you're gonna you're gonna want to call me again later on.
0: No, no, no. This you, is what's great about our show is that uh, you know sometimes I'll have guests on, even though it's a fly fishing show. Uh, sometimes we won't even talk about fly fishing. We'll just dig into, you know what I mean? I've had, you know, I've had a number of like Joan Wolf was on. We had Joan Wolf on in episode 100 and she, at the end of the episode, she gave me advice on uh, relationship advice and I was, it was perfect, you know? So I love when the, uh, the conversation goes a little, uh, Did of... stay single? no, she told <laughs> me, I asked her, I'm trying to think now, now I have to put a link in the, in the show notes to it. But she said, um, oh man, I can't remember the advice now I'm gonna have to re-listen to it, but it was good advice it was really good advice. I'm just drawn a blank on what she said. <laughs> it was, that was a hundred, yeah. that was episode 100. That was uh 250 episodes from ago. So that was like, that was four years ago.
1: Well, we haven't talked about fishing much and I just got a note from my wife about we should talk about fishing, but you know, I'm here and I'll, I'll talk about fly fishing. I'll talk about anything you want to talk about. We've talked about the book and, and uh, the carving and, and what have you. and, you know, there's just a ton of things, and I'm here, and I've got this room, and it's quiet, and uh, James, write me a note. What's the number one fly? What's the number one fly? A leech. <laughs>
0: oh, a leech. That's a good question. That's a good question. I like this. So the leech, because I was going to ask you that, How? because I went up, I fished with uh, Phil Roley up in uh, Kamloops, and, uh, and we fished like coronimids, and then I came down and had another guest on who was from team USA. And he was talking about how his woolly bugger was his favorite, or it was a good fly for him. So is that, is the leech your favorite fly?
1: It's one of my favorite flies uh, for trout. Yeah. Uh, steelhead and salmon is totally different, but that, that leech is so easy to tie that you would throw it into places where you don't expect to get it back. Yeah. That a good, that's a good fly.
0: Yeah. So what's the, on the leech, is it like a woolly bugger? Does it look a lot like a woolly bugger?
1: Nope. You tie marabou in the back. It's in the book. You tie marabou on the back of the hood for the tail, depending on how long you want it. And if you have a one-inch tail, long tail, the next bunch of marabou is tied on just about maybe uh, a quarter of an inch or a half an inch in front of that. You just tie another bunch on. Same size of marabou. And you go all the way up the shank that way.
0: When you're done. Oh, you wrap it. Wrap it with marabou.
1: No, you don't wrap it. You just tie it with the thread. And the marabou just is, it's just like a a marabou and it goes all the way to the front. And then you tie it off. I wrap a little bit of marabou at the front and on the thread, dub it on and I wrap it and that's it. So no hackles. Yeah. If you lose it, you don't cry. The fish love it. I tie it in browns and olives and grays and stuff like that, different color. And I can fish that fly anywhere and catch fish on.
0: How do you fish it? If you had that fly right now and you're out heading to a lake, how, how would you describe how you would fish that in the lake?
1: Well, I'd fish it with a number two line, two sinking line, or a clear line, and I would fish it in the coves. You know, where there's weed beds along the edge of the cove, and I would fish it adjacent to the weed beds. In other words, I would fish it. I'd set the boat out front with the float tube, and I'd cast down along the edge of the weed beds, and I'd hand retrieve it. You know, with fingers. And four fingers is a long pull, two fingers is a small pull. You know, your thumb catches it, and you just keep doing it. That I'm telling you, it's it should be outlawed. Yeah, should be outlawed. I I have taken fish that you would not even believe in places that you wouldn't believe. I mean, huge fish, brown trout.
0: Yeah. Are you catching those? I know uh, Danny when he was on. He was talking about how he only fishes in the shallower water because fish are moving. Have you ever caught many fish out in the deeper water?
1: I caught them everywhere. I catch them everywhere. If they, if they live in shallower water, and I know they live in shallower water, I'm going to fish in shallower water. You see, that's the one thing about me. I got in, in on this in this book on page 126. I shows me holding a 20 pound. Uh, leeching rainbow trout about to be given its freedom, released, unharmed. Okay, and on the other page, on the other side, there's a rainbow quad on an olive leech in Klamath Lake in Oregon, and it's probably about 12 or 13 pounds, maybe 14 pounds, and they all got their freedom. They're back in there, they're still living. You see, and that fly, do you take that fly? I could tie it. Without a vice, I could tie it, just kept, grab a bunch of red marabou flies, put them in a Ziploc bag, and put them in my pocket with some hooks. And I could hold the hook in my fingers, and I could tie a marabou leech. Yep. A black one, all whatever. It's that easy. If I lose one, I don't cry about it. Tie on another one. You know? What?
0: <laughs> yeah. So you like the leech. You like the leech. I like
1: the, I like the leech if it was my one fly to go to for everything. I've I've used that leech for yellow tail, I've used it for salmon, I've used it for everything. And everything bites it. You know? And woolly buggers, you know, <laughs> why go through the trouble of tying a hackle on a damn thing? Yeah. You know? Well, just use it. And that's what Gibby's wise looking like is a leech. Yeah. But very but not a simple leech, you know. One that's got a lot of uh, possession. to it. I got his book right here. Vinny's a good guy. Yeah. And I'm nothing against Vinny.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Jackson Hole Fly Company. They've been designing and manufacturing fly fishing equipment and flies since 1978 in their home base in Wyoming. In 2020, they launched jhflyco.com and started selling gear directly uh, online to anglers all over the country. You can go ahead and right now and check out their huge selection of uh, rods, reels, fly lines, tools, accessory. Uh, and right now, if you go to jhflyco.com swing, you can get 25% off your first order. Just like Amazon, they'll ship everything directly to your door, saving you time and money. But unlike Amazon, you'll be supporting a great fly shop and this podcast by simply grabbing a few uh, products, maybe just a couple of flies. Check it out. There we go. Get free shipping right now. All orders over $50. And uh, get that 25% off your first order. JHFlyco.com slash swing. Okay. Back to the show. Who else is out there in the stillwater? Because, I mean, I've heard of you and a few other people, but I haven't heard of a ton. Who are the other, any other stillwater anglers out there you know of that are kind of have written, you know, books or anything like that on stillwater?
1: No, nobody. Right. Nobody's done those books. And nobody's done really a complete book. Denny's book is about, you know, pictures of the fish that they catch, but it doesn't tell anything about the techniques that they use.
0: Why do you think that is? That there's not more stillwater fishing books and, and like gurus like yourself out there?
1: Because people don't like to fish in, in water still. They like no streams. Streams are beautiful, and they move slowly. They move fast. They move in all different directions, and you can get to them easily. You can wade a stream. With a lake, you got to have a boat where you have to have a flow tube or you have to be able to wade out in that lake and you cover where the fish are. Most of the time in the lakes, we're shallow like that, like Henry's Lake. Where the fish are, they're in the channel and you can't get to the channel. And the fish feed up and down the channel. So it comes out of the springs and it comes down the channel and it feeds out into the lake. And it's a straight run. So what do I do? The average guy that's out there in his boat And he's casting across the channel. Why the hell would you cast across the channel The fish are sitting there looking up the channel, taking the cold water, coming in? So turn your boat, get along the edge, turn your boat, and cast down across. You see? And then you can fish slowly because the current coming out of that screen is keeping the leech tight. And it looks just like a leech. And when I stop it, it kind of puffs up a little bit, just like a leech. Now, what the hell would you use anything else on on your line four, or why you, would you tie a leech any other way? It's because you don't know anything about how to tie marabou. See, a lot of my steelhead flies have a marabou body, and maybe just a little bit of a hackle. Salmon and steelhead, I got flies that you wouldn't even believe. I open the box, and you look at it, and you go, what the hell is that? It's my steelhead box. You're kidding me. Where's where's the wings? Where's the where's the long tail? Where's yeah. no. Not me, not me. I fish for a living and I know how to fish and I know what the fish like and I know where they are. And I, that's all I need to do right there.
0: Yeah. Have you ever done uh, any guiding over your time?
1: No. No, well, I, I did up in Take It Easy Ranch in Oregon, but that was more technique than anything else. I was, wasn't, I mean, we caught lots of fish, but I don't guide because. I mean, I have the patience to guide. I just feel sorry for people most of the time because they, it's, it, this is a simple thing we're talking about. This flying machine is simple.
0: That's the thing. You, you, I mean, you say it's bit, I mean, for a lot of people, a lot of people struggle with, you know, like the casting, right? That's one thing, you know, casting is a big struggle for people, or, you know, getting into it.
1: Yeah. It's, well, because they're using graphite rods and that's all that's available to them now. If they had a fiberglass rod, they'd be able to cast, a lot faster, a lot quicker, and learn learn faster because it's a it's a very forgiving material. You see, everything has a reason, everything has a place. And with me, if it doesn't have a place, I don't have it. I don't need it. I don't want it. You see, I love talking to people about fly vision. And especially like yourself, because you're understanding what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're trying to completely simplify fly fishing as much as possible, which is which sounds perfect because I think the, a lot of the struggle when people, if they've never heard, never fly fish, they think it's really hard. And you're saying right. you're saying what you're teaching like easy wooly buggers, a, a forgiving rod. You're may, you're saying it's you could take somebody a brand new beginner out and, and have them into the fish on, on on a day, first day maybe.
1: I can have them into the fish immediately. Yeah. You see, Yeah. I'll show them how to talk flies in the evening after we fish. That's why I went up to take an easy ranch and I fished up there because the food was good and they served at a special time. So you always wanted to be there so you didn't miss the meal. And if you had plants with you or people with you, they had to be there at a certain time. And that's what fly fishing is. You have to be there at certain times, you know. You don't want to be there at midnight, you know. You can't see what the hell's going on. You can't see what the hell you got on. I might as well hook the fly to my dog's collar and let the dog run wild. And let the let it fly out of the reel. But no, it's a fish. And I bring him up. And he, I, I feel sorry for the fish. that the fish is so stupid to take one of my flies for something, that actually it looks like eating. You know, I feel sorry for him. I bring him up to me. And I'm very gentle with him. I get the fly out. Everything is barbarous. I get the fly out of them, and I get them on their way as quickly as possible. I don't have, in, the, in my book, I don't have a lot of pictures of me with fish because I don't keep them.
0: Yeah, you've never, have you never killed, uh, you've never really killed any fish, steelhead or salmon or trout?
1: Oh, I have, yes. you Like somebody said to me, hey, Al, what time are you coming in? Oh, I'm going to come in at 6 o'clock. Okay, up on the smith, because all the guys stay in the same area. Yeah, I come, bring a springer a, bring a jack. And we'll barbecue it and we'll feed five or six people off of it, or seven people or ten, whatever, you know. And then I, I fish, you know, for a jack that's maybe six or seven pounds. I mean, that's all there is to it. You see, my life has been a simple life. My wife is a great person because she doesn't put a lot of pressure on me to be something that I'm not, she lets me be me.
0: And That's really very
1: cool. few women are that way. Yeah. And I am thankful for that. Yeah. I got a couple ex-wives and I'll tell you, I wouldn't wish them on anybody. Right.
0: <laughs> That's it. I, so occasionally I'll ask the question about, you know, what vice, you know, what vices you have. So, uh, you know what I mean? Like, what is your vice for tying? What, what sort of vice do you have? Do you have the same vice you've always had?
1: Well, I got a Thompson. I got a Thompson vice. You know, thre- any vice that I use when I first started, oh God, so far along. But I didn't know how to spill Thompson in those days. Yeah. And I've got a I've got a great vice here. Uh um Dinah King.
0: Oh Dinah King, yeah, they're awesome. Yeah.
1: yeah they're and good. that's what I got sitting here in front of me right now. Yeah. Is a diner King. and uh and I got this big drawer, so I got two cabinets here with drawers on the top and on the bottom, and one big drawer. And I open them up and I got everything that I could ask for to tie any fly.
0: Yeah. What was the last fly you tied? What was the last fly or the pattern? What pattern was it that you tied last? A leech. Yeah, there you go, a leech.
1: The <laughs> neighbor was here wanted to know what the hell a leech, was. you know. I said, see my book, let me show it. And I tied it for him. And most of the time, I won't even tie it on the mice. I just hold the hook in my fingers and look for that because all I need is the fingers of my mice. You see? And I mean, we could talk for the next 20 days. And not even cover everything that you want to cover.
0: What do you like talking about more? When you say I'm, I'm keeping it simple here today too, as well. But if you say steelhead, salmon, we have a lot of people that love steelhead, but steelhead, salmon, or stillwater. What do you love talking about more?
1: Uh, probably stillwater because it's more involved. Yeah, and you know, there's you got to know what the what the weeds are and where the bugs are living. You know, that the fish are eating. I mean, you, you know, guys go into a fly shop up in Yellowstone, and they buy flies right now. They haven't even been fishing yet. They're buying flies. What the hell? you got to be out there. you got to be out there in Henry's Lake. Or you got to be out there in Henry's Fort or the snake. And you got to see what the hell the fish are eating. And then when you see what they're eating, they're easy to tie. You know, the tail and the legs move. The body moves. And that's why I use boot for the body in some of these flies. Yeah. It moves.
0: When you're up there in the lake, how do you determine what they're feeding, they're, they're eating, they're feeding on?
1: Well, you just look in the water.
0: Yeah.
1: look, so everything is up on the top. Calabatus are up there. And, but the calabatas are usually over in the shallow water. But you know that there's leeches in that channel because been, people have been fishing that lake for hundreds of years. And they know what's in there. And the guys that fish it, Gary Howells and those guys that, Jim Adams, have been fishing it forever in the like. lake. They know. They know what the hell they're in. And they know where to find them there. And there's a place called the glory hole out there. And that's where the glory hole ends, where the, where the channel ends. And that is only between you and I and the lamppost, you know. It doesn't end. Where it turns and goes to deeper water, there's an actual turn there. So I can actually put my boat in a corner. And I could fish to the left and fish the drift coming back towards me slowly. Or I could fish in front of me or i fish to the side a little bit and I'm covering fish in the water. Other guys are out there in the float tube and they just get to the side of the channel and they're casting straight sure across it. Nothing lives in that lake. that swims across that channel all the time. You see? You see where the, the, the thought process comes in? Once I've been someplace and I see what's going on, <laughs> that's it for them. That's it for the fish.
0: yeah it it seems like you know still water. i mean i know i fish a lot of still waters and and sometimes you know it can be challenging because the first thing you think about is like where are the fish right how do do you find out where the fish are what's your first what's your tip there if you come to a new lake and you don't know where the fish are
1: well i I find a channel or talk to somebody that's been fishing out there i know most everybody that's fishing that come from all over the country like at henry's lake but if i'm fishing hat creek I know Hack Creek like the back of my hand. If I fish at bomb Lake, I know Bomb Lake. I, Almanor, I know Almanor like the back of my hand. I don't need other people to tell me where to fish and how to fish. I know where they are. You know, it's not a real science. Yeah. People try to make it a science, but it's not. It's simple. And I've got 50 times more material here than I ever need. But it's stuff that I've collected down the years or people who gave me. And so what the hell, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah are you still doing uh are you still going out to like uh, shows and things like that
1: uh no i'm not when in rice when red rice passed away, i quit doing shows I don't even go visit anymore because you know most of them, they're put to, put to, put on by promoters that don't know anything about fishing yeah and they they hire names they hire names Danny Rickers. <laughs> And they go down the line. You know, if I, if I started a show, I would be, you wouldn't know anybody in that show, but they would have information and they would know how to talk. You see, that's the whole thing. If you're at a show and you don't know how to talk, you're done.
0: Yeah. Did you do that for Ed Rice? Did you, when you were there, did you do the, like the presentations and all that stuff?
1: Everything. I did everything. I did casting.
0: I did
1: did fly tying. I mean, I did everything. And. I traveled with that same thing. I went back and and Dave Woodlock was doing a show back uh, back east. Oh yeah, I went back. Dave had me go back there, and he met me back there and paid for my all the stuff. And I get talked to some of the clubs while I was there. And
0: uh-huh. you know,
1: it's just once I get to some place, people know me.
0: Did you like the traveling?
1: I don't like traveling. Yeah, I didn't like traveling. You know, I mean, I, you know, I enjoy coming home to my wife, and the peace and quiet that I have here. But I don't mind traveling. I like getting out there. I like I like people. But after a while, I don't want to do it, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what's cool about this is that, you know, we've got a new generation of people probably listening now who maybe didn't know about you, you know what I mean? So I, I love kind of connecting to some of the history. I've been hearing about you for a long time, so this is been a lot of fun for me to just connect the dots you know we've been just chatting about stuff but um, we've been
1: shotgunning we've been just shotgunning all over the place
0: yeah i love yeah. it you love it this is this is great exactly if, and if we uh i mean obviously the Stillwater book is something you know you wrote that came out 10 years ago but that's still uh you know it sounds like a great resource um you know for people if they want to dig in right that's probably the best place to go
1: uh i'm telling you if you like to fish Stillwater, you want to fish still water And you don't have this book, you're in trouble. Yeah. Because everything that I learned in here has been learned over the last 50 years. Now, how the hell are you gonna figure out a spot right away? You can't. But if you read this book, it's in there. All the type of water, it's in there. You know, I could look, I could just stick my finger in this book and find a page and open it up and read it and go, holy.
0: Yeah, pull that out. Let's let's do that, Hal. But just, just randomly pick a page and you, tell me what, what you got there. I'm curious. Yeah, just okay. Pick a, just pick a random, just anywhere in the book, it's just for fun.
1: Okay. Uh, well, here we go. The Tadpole shrimp,
0: which is there probably
1: the most. Yeah, it's a misunderstood bug. During the 60-plus years of fly fishing, one of the most interesting aquatic insects, any aquatic creatures I have ever incurred, encountered, is the tadpole shrimp huh. of the genus Lepidurus? Oh wow! This cr- This crustacean has survived unchanged since the Jurassic period, about 180 million years ago, or like a couple of or like or take a couple of years. Yeah. One of the reasons Lepidurus has managed to survive this length of time is its ability to produce vast numbers of eggs. Most species are bisexual, and the female is able to. Reproduce without fertilizing fertilization by the male. The eggs can remain dormant indefinitely. Scientists have discovered tadpole shrimp eggs after hatch after 25 years or longer. They were dry, they were dry for 20 years. Uh, when the water in the in a pond or, or winter pool evaporates,
0: now I see I, I'm getting a little more on the book since I didn't have it in front of me. But, yeah, you dig into entomology and go deep, it sounds like, on a lot of these topics. That's that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. I explained everything. You don't have time to figure all this stuff out. I did it. Well, I have to read about it and, and go fishing. And look how, lakes are everywhere. Jesus. I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, that's my point. Why fish something that isn't everywhere?
0: Yeah, that's what still surprises me about people. And like you said, that there's not that many people that are into stillwater because it's just like, yeah, you think with all the lakes, we have all the great lakes that there would be more. But it's probably, what do you think, only maybe 10% of fly fishermen fish stillwater. water? Do you think it's more than that?
1: Dave, I think it's because they're, they're in awe of it. They don't understand it. It's something like a stream that has a couple of locks in it and water flows past it. They go, oh, shit, there's a deep hole. Down there. Okay, I understand that. But when they get out on the lake and they're sitting in a boat out there by themselves and they're looking around and there's water 360 around them. I mean, they're overwhelmed. They don't know what the hell to do. And that's why Denny's book is so successful because Denny says, put on a woolly, woolly burger basically. You know, because it's a, it looks like a woolly burger and you just tie it on and you throw it out there and you look and you probe with it and, and you throw it as far as you can and you strip it in and you bury your, your trees. That's not still water fly fishing, but that's what everybody thinks it is. Still water fly fishing is knowing the area that you're fishing like the back of your hand, understanding how deep it is, understanding whether there's current there, understanding how much current is going to be there when the wind blows and the water goes to one side of the lake, and then it goes under and it comes back. And you, you're you thinking in a school towards that side over there, and yet, down below, the water is going away to that bank when the water is down, when your, your fly is down about 10, 10 feet. When it's down below 10 feet, it's coming back towards you, past you. You see, these are things that they don't understand. Right. That's what still water fly fishing is about to me. It's the most difficult form of fishing ever because you have to be in tune. With everything that's going on in so many different ways, you have to know the water. You have to know the bugs. You have to know your fly line. You have to know your equipment, and your equipment has to be designed for it. People today think, "Well, I'm going to still water fly fishing. I need a, I need a rod that's uh, made out of graphite. It's nine foot long. It takes a nine or a ten line. What the hell are you fishing for, elephants?
0: <laughs> what weight do you like for a, for a, a graph or a, not graphite, but for the glass rod? Two weight. Oh, two a uh, two weight. I fish a two way
1: rod 99.5% of the time. The only time I, I don't fish with that is when I'm fishing chinook salmon over the coast. And then I'm usually fishing a nine or an eight, you know. And with wow. a shooting head, a nine or an eight is not going to hit the water hard. So when you're fishing over in tidewater, you're not scaring them. You see, and you fish above them and you drift down to them. That's why, why you fish the tides. The tide yeah. brings the fly to the fish without a lot of lacking. Right. You see, and that's, we're just, we're talking steel and salmon there for a second. Yeah. And it's all, everything is relative. I mean, everything is relative. I look around my room, everything is relative. All my flight time material is relative. I don't own a, a piece of chenille. I don't own anything like that. I own fur, you know, that I dyed myself. And I and with my materials. Huh. You, you see how it's, it's cut and drying.
0: Right, and and that two weight you were talking about the two weight. So, are you've got some big fish you've caught over your time in Stillwater? Have you were you fishing a, a two weight on some of those bigger fish?
1: Well, you would have to because if you're fishing two pound test or or even one pound test and you hook a big fish, you don't ha- you don't have a chance of getting them if you don't have a fiberglass rod. If every time the pressure builds up on on the line it breaks, what good is it? Well, graphite is a great casting tool. Oh, wonderful. Buy yourself a casting tool. Don't go fishing. Go down to a casting pond in Golden Gate, or go down to a place where there's a casting pond and cast, because that's where it belongs. That's where you can cast hundred feet and go. Everybody goes, woo, a long time. I don't cast that for yeah. I cast forty feet, thirty feet. You know, everything I do is different, Dave. And I'm telling you, and you, you're learning. You're learning that over this period of time. Mm -hmm. That it's different. I'm doing things differently. And I have a book out of how to do it differently. I I love this. I don't, I'm not keeping my secrets, you know, inside of me. If I run across a guy, he's having a hard time fishing. I ask him what he's doing. And I tell him how to be successful right there on the spot. And then the guy catches something. He's like, Oh, this is unbelievable. I caught a fish. You know, I catch him all the time. I, it's nothing to me. I know, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. I know where the fish live. I know what flies they eat. I know what they I mean, listen, I'm the worst fisherman in the world for the amount of information I know.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And, and so just back, I wanted to verify on that that two-way. So what what's the largest fish you've caught on that 2 weight on Stillwater?
1: Well, I've caught steelhead and I've caught a salmon on it just for the hell of it. You know, for the hell of it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I used it up on the smooth and tidewater one afternoon when a guy told me that I couldn't catch, I couldn't catch a salmon or anything but a 10-weight rod. And I said, I'm usually fishing a six or a seven. You know, what the hell's the difference if you go down to a two or a three? You know, it's all the pressure. You reach up the rod, you grab a hold of your it. You can't do that with graphite because when you put your hand up that rod and you that's a shear point, and you assist it, you break it. And I don't put up pressure, I put side pressure. So, about the time the fish feels less side pressure and he starts driving from left to right, I'm over here on the right side, and I'm putting pressure on him, getting him to go back to the left. You see, I make him go where he wants to go. And my, li- and my lines allow me to do that. My rods allow me to do that. My reels are counterbalanced. That's why they, they give up the line so easy. Once they get down in that. Yeah. Eight, six and eight pound test backing I mean there's a lot of backing on there people look at that little reel and they go Whoa, you wouldn't be catching a big fish on that the hell I wouldn't I got a lot of line on this reel if he goes he wants to go if he wants to swim to New York when he gets through swimming and he got all the line out of my reel I just pick up the anchor and I'll say hey we'll go. You will I mean it's so simple I'm not telling you anything that's revolutionary uh, in the world of fly fishing no I'm a simple guy, you know. One and on one is two, and two and two is four.
0: Yeah, yeah. They make it hard. You're right. I, mean, I think people make it hard, but you do have these secrets in in this book, which is cool. I think this is definitely getting people excited to to take a peek in this thing. So, um, all right, how? Well, thanks for all your time today. Definitely appreciate it. And, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep in touch with you. And I'll look forward to seeing that book.
1: Okay, buddy. Good talking with you.
0: So there it is. Hal Jansen, wetflyswing.com slash 352, 352. We'll get you some uh, some good stuff there over. We'll see what uh, Dom can put in here for you today. Hopefully, we got some, some good stuff coming. Quick listener shout-out before we get out of here today. Frank from Florida. Frank, I'm going to give you a virtual man hug right here, Frank. Uh, Frank sent me an amazing email in which he described how he's uh, retiring soon and has been using this podcast to help prepare for traveling um after retirement here so this is pretty exciting he's got a uh, sounds like he's got a travel trailer or some sort of uh, rv and uh it's just awesome to hear uh, that uh, this podcast is helping him prepare for that time to get out and go do some fishing more fishing so frank uh like i said uh right back to you man thanks again if you uh, i would love to hear from you if you get a chance you can reach out to me dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any comments I'd love to give you a shout-out here on the podcast and just love to talk to you in person. If you haven't connected with me yet um, and you've been listening to this podcast, I'd really love to uh, hear from you uh, by email there or if you're on social, that's easy too, Wetfly Swing. Quick reminder, uh, the trivia challenge, wetflyswing.com slash trivia is a good chance to uh, win a fly tying. This is a like a $100 value fly tying pack. Togans has given these away this year, um, the rest of this year. I think we're doing four of them and uh, so if you want to grab one of these things and a chance to win this, all you gotta do is sign up, wetflyswing.com slash trivia, and you're gonna get uh, what used to be called the mystery fly time pack, but it's just pretty much loaded with a bunch of uh, materials and everything else. So I'm gonna let you get out of here, uh, wetflyswing.com slash slash trivia. Reminder on the trivia challenge. And I hope to catch up with you, maybe online, maybe on the water. We got some trips coming here, so if you get a chance, Uh, check in with me there and I hope that you have a good morning good afternoon or good evening wherever you are in the world talk to you soon thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com